0: Nothing You are now listening to the Enter VR podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm speaking with Erica Barraza. She is the founder of EV Realities. Um, founder and CEO of EV Realities, and I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Of course, thanks so much, Chris. I love the uh, I love the proper Latin flair that you gave my name. It's not easily achieved by just anybody.
0: Rolling your R's is uh, a thing that um, I respect when people can pull it off, and when they try, I really is respect when people try to roll their R's, like Erika or carro. Like it's not easy. <laughs>
1: it's not and you know what you're you're right Uh, much respect to those who even make the attempt
0: yeah because i and even like then like how do i even i try teaching someone like how do like they like how do how do you roll your r's and i think you put your tongue at the roof of your mouth and then you like you blow yeah but it's not easy yeah
1: yeah it's not an easy one to describe you know well your tongue's always on the top of your mouth anyway and then you just act as if you've been cold forever and blow out some air and and you're good to go yeah there's
0: um there's a there's a chinese word for fish that's like really interesting it was really hard for me to figure out or how to pronounce i don't even think i'm still i say it right today to this day but it's it sounds like something like you like like and it was like um and it's not like a word that's in, in in the like alphabet that i'm used to and the, or or a sound that i'm used to in the alphabet um mm-hmm. and it's just like it always perplexes me the sounds we make with our mouths <laughs> and like some and somehow we like interpret that into like language and it becomes this whole thing anyways oh yeah welcome to the podcast i want to talk about you let's talk about what got you into virtual reality in the first place this is this is um i started you know and this is this is a thing we had a conversation two years ago and i mm-hmm. think and i think what happened was um it we it just happened after the election like it was literally the day after the election <laughs> <laughs> and um,
1: oh my god and it's literally another two years a day after the election
0: yep yep and um it just feels so f- fitting for us to have another conversation exactly two years after that one but i realized that like we didn't really touch on your journey in the vr industry and i feel like it's it's time for us to go back to that and and this is and this is where i want to get started like um before we touch the world of like politics and the outside you know realm that intersects vr in that sense yeah, let's talk about your your journey. I want to know more about like how did you get started in VR in the first place? Because oh, by the way, by the way, I'm gonna bring this full circle at the end. I, it's gonna be it's. I, I feel oh. like I feel like I'm being clever, but I, I don't I don't even know. I'm just I, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like it, I feel almost a little bit like I'm on Fight Club. Like we already know the ending, but we're gonna start at the beginning anyway. We're gonna bring it all right back yep. just in time for you to forget where we started. Um, <laughs> <gasps> yeah, gosh, well, you know, two years ago when we spoke, uh, I was still pretty early days in my journey into VR. You know, I had been uh, I'd been working on a startup when I was wrapping up my uh, master's program. I, I studied uh, business. I did social, a master's in social entrepreneurship here in San Francisco, and while I was doing that program, started my first startup with a co-founder. And we were telling the first person perspective stories of the homeless around San Francisco, working really closely with nonprofits and other startups, working with nonprofits, uh, uh, with different hospitals in the in the Bay Area. And gosh, you know, we we had so many people who were just fascinated with what we were doing with these first person POV videos. And I had a number of folks who came up to me and they said, "Hey, you're you're building immersive media. This is wonderful." And I was like, "Cool." the heck is that like what is immersive media (laughs) um you know and I just I was so unfamiliar just with the terminology I mean I've always been a a, science fiction time travel fan but you know a lot of the literature about virtual reality um and that 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 realm of science fiction I had never really uh you know stuck my foot in those waters before so it, it was it was a pretty new concept to me um gosh, even just like four or five years ago, and and I kind of backed into it accidentally because then in January 2015, um, after my uh, startup did not, uh, you know, I, I made the decision to actually step away from the startup for a number of reasons, and, um, you know, post postgraduate school responsibilities being one of them, I... Uh, and I was sitting in Milan, kind of thinking about what's my next evolution as a creative, as a social innovator, you know, what, what is it that I want to do with my interests? And Clouds of Resetra had just launched, and it was dominating the news cycle. You could actually watch it on YouTube. They didn't have the, uh, you know, the spin and scroll magic window kind of thing going on on YouTube in January 2015, the way they do now. And I remember watching it on YouTube with the split screen. It was designed so that you could put it into a Google Cardboard headset, which I didn't have. And I was watching it, and I watched the whole thing and just kept thinking, like, this is only going to get better. I think I could make this better. I think I could, you know, and I'm like, they're instinctively trying to find stitch lines. How did they make this? Where's the camera? How well, how's it and so it was just one of those things. I think I just naturally took to it. My curiosity, and also just the power of what that message and that story uh, was bringing to people, and the way everybody was responding to it was incredible. Um, and then I started working at Singularity University, uh, which was which was great. I was their senior manager of Impact Partnerships, so I got to work with a lot of major global nonprofits. You know, all the innovation units at the UN. Um, Amnesty International and all, and all kinds of groups. Um, and, uh, through that was actually at, at Singularity was the first time I put on a proper Oculus Rift headset. And, you know, my very first experience was the roller coaster in the refrigerator, you know, passing the cheese and the condiments and all that. I forget, I forget who did that one. Um, yeah, and then, uh, and then the next one they showed me was, uh, like, standing out in, like, the Arizona desert uh, with, like, different wildlife and, and, and creatures and critters running around and stuff. And I was just – and that was it for me because then I thought, oh, this is what everyone was saying about creating immersive media. Like, I get it because, you know, we only had one GoPro camera that we were using with our homeless volunteers, and they would wear the chest harness. Um You know, so you would have that kind of first-person POV experience of what it was like, and now you had these 360 video cameras that really put you into the space, and that alone, uh, for me, I was like, yes, this is everything that we were trying to convey and just could not do. Um and that was it for me I was done <laughs> it was you know another another lost and wandering hopeful soul journeyed into virtual reality at that point
0: <laughs> i love- wow, I love the way you just put it that's um yeah, that was really poetic but uh how i i wonder like having had so much experience with three sixty media like um can you envision what the perfect three sixty camera would look like? Like, mm. like, if you could, like, none money not being the issue, um, technology limitations not being an issue, like, what would be the perfect 360 camera for for you, for your cases, and maybe for everyone? What do you think? Uh,
1: honestly, okay, did you ever watch Sailor Moon?
0: Uh, yes, I would be lying if I yes. didn't. Yes, I have. Okay,
1: <laughs> so Rini, Rini has this little uh, cat head the floating cat head um i forget the name of it but you know it's like this little spherical cat head robot thing that's her companion and it just floats along next to her and she's constantly talking to it and everything that for me would be the ideal 360 camera it's like my my personal floating best friend that's just capturing everything around me because i think the the feeling of presence that a 360 camera like that the full-on globe spherical thing, and it has to float. But it has to float because I wanted at eye level. Um, that for me would be the perfect ideal 360 camera.
0: So, would like um, would, a, would a would a compromise? Uh, would an okay compromise look like with like a drone with a 360 camera mounted, like a mini drone m- mounted with a 360, cam- 360 camera mounted on it? Like, would that be? Because I think about about that is like, oh, batteries technology is just not that good. For keeping these things up in the air, but if like if if the batteries are really good and you can keep a drone, a mini drone, flying around for like six to eight hours, oh my god, that would be amazing! And just let, like let you follow, you know, follow you around everywhere, like your own personal cameraman.
1: Oh yeah, I think like my hesitation though with calling it a drone or making it drone-like is I have a lot of like, angst towards drones. I feel like. There's something about the idea that someone else is controlling it from far away, and that I can't see who's taking the photograph. Uh, that just makes it feel like way beyond the personal boundaries uh, that I want to feel comfortable with. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was I was meeting a friend in Mission for coffee uh, last week, and as I was there, you know, locking up. I so was checking my, and I got there early, so I sat down on the you're bench. Getting, sorry, Erica, you're missed.
0: getting cut off a little bit. Uh, if there's a if there's a way you can stand stand closer to your Wi-Fi antenna, that'd be awesome. But there's, uh, okay. there's there's a little bit of like there seems like there's a little bit of interruption. It seems like the Matrix doesn't want you to say what you're about to say. That's what's. Oh uh,
1: no.
0: That's what always happens when you're about to like when <laughs> when juicy things are about to be said on this podcast. I like.
1: All right. Well, let me, hold on, let me see if I can get a little closer to my Wi-Fi signal.
0: Yeah, so we were left off at, you were in the mission. Um,
1: Right, I was in the mission of getting talk with a friend, and I had arrived a bit earlier uh, than they did. And so I sat down on the bench next to my bike and started checking my messages, and, and something about whatever it was that I was doing must have felt very poetic, photographer tourist who just walked up and started taking my picture uh and i and i yeah it felt a little aggressive but i mean i kind of about he was going for something candid and i I looked up and i said hey uh what are you doing he's like oh i'm so sorry he's you know it was just it was a great shot good framing whatever i'm like okay i Yeah, i'm appreciating asked next time and whatever and we, we were able to clarify it and you know, he's an artist, and I work with cameras, too, so I get it. And I was like, all right, no, fine. It's fine. Um, hmm. But at least then you have that opportunity to speak up and advocate for yourself. With the drones, there have been times where you're just out and about, and some random just shows up, and you're like, who are you? Yeah. Like, where is this going? Who do you belong to? Like, where's your human? Um and, the, and there's nothing, there's nothing really that you can do to kind of settle any discomfort that you have, and it's a, it's a similar effect, by the way, that happens with road rage when you've got people in cars. You can't necessarily make that eye contact to apologize if you accidentally cut someone off, versus like when you're walking on the sidewalk and you bump into someone, you make that quick eye contact and you kind of know, okay, they didn't mean anything by it, and it's a very human experience. So it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel a little angsty about drones.
0: Yeah, well, what about 360 cameras that are just capturing everything? Like, everything in 360 is being, like, everyone in, in a 360 view is being captured regardless. Like, if if you were walking around with a... Like, I had this idea of, like, doing a, doing a walking podcast with a 360 camera, where, like, I would be walking around, I would mount the camera to a gimbal and attach the gimbal to myself, and I would have this third-person perspective. And I... And I thought about it, and I was like, "Oh, that'd be cool," but like, but I also thought about like, "Oh, would people get like mad because like I'd be talking and it'd be captured? It, every, they would be in the video all, at all times. Like, I don't know. It was, it was, it, was, it, was, um,
1: it, it yeah. feels really uh, Billy Billy Eichner, Billy on the streets with um, you know, carrying around a can or something like that. But you know, I mean, as someone who like I frequently film. Different like cultural events, parades, protests, like just kind of out and about in the streets, capturing the environment. But I think that's the difference, right? Like with a three camera, you're not always necessarily in someone's face with it. And if you are, they know that they are in front of the camera. Versus you know capturing the environment in general when everybody's just kind of milling about, minding their own business. You're not really putting someone on the spot you know the the example i gave earlier the guy essentially just stuck his camera mm-hmm. in my face yeah and weird. that felt aggressive yeah that was weird yeah. yeah there's a lot of, there's a lot of weirdness happening in san francisco though
0: that's an understatement <laughs> <laughs> that's um yeah like wow that's that's super that's super weird huh yeah it's it sucks because like yeah what do you what do you even do about that like how do you even like Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard because it's like um in a in a in a population of like a million people, you're gonna run into like weirdos, you know. And it's like I don't know. What? There I am. Yeah. I Can you know. hear me? Yes, much better. Oh my god, yes. what did you do?
1: Uh I think one of my roommates reset the Wi Fi. <laughs> ah. Which temporarily cut me off. My apologies.
0: Oh no worries. Well thank you for coming back. You sound much better yay um okay so yeah i want i yeah i'm hmm i don't know i feel yeah it's a weird yeah it's a weird thing to talk yeah to like to a subject like you know like someone shoving a camera in your face um without permission yeah
1: yeah but i think you know i think the beauty with the 360 camera though is that because you're capturing an environment you're capturing a mood um you know, and because of the nature of the absent frame in a 360 camera,
0: uh. it
1: feels a little less aggressive to me, right? Because I understand how they operate. Um, most people who are coming face-to-face with a 360 camera for the f- first time are, are – I find that they're they're hit with two things. One, a sense of wonder because they've never seen something like that. And then two, just kind of um, – uh, just complete disregard because they don't actually realize that it's a camera. yeah that, that actually happened the first time I took the Rico theta out into the field in Lebanon with me and those those folks who you know, I asked them I said, you know would it be okay if I you know if I took pictures inside of every room in, in your in your home And they said, oh yeah, sure of course. Uh, and I'd set up the camera, put it on his little tripod, run out of the room to hide, take the picture, and then run back in, and they looked at me like, "What's this crazy American girl doing?" And they asked me they're like, "So are you gonna take the picture?" I said, "Oh, I already did." And they said, "How you weren't in the room. Um, and then and that's actually what started uh, a couple of different conversations and and some quick workshops on how to take 360 videos and photographs in different refugee camps. So that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of a, a gateway toward, uh, you know, all the work that I do now.
0: Wow, wow, that's that's powerful. That's man. Yeah, you were like a wizard to them at, at some at a certain point. Like you were like, huh? yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> they
1: were. Wizards to me, uh, you know what? Like I know everyone loves their their annual Burning Man retreat and trying to you know survive out in the wild and pack everything in and out. But gosh, you know those those refugees are something else. I mean that that is a true level of humanity we rarely get to see. Just the resiliency of human beings, um, you know what what they can make and build and stay in community when they literally have nothing on their backs when they arrive in their new homes or their new territories and camps that they set up that's just incredible to me I mean I I could push buttons on a camera and they can set up a new community um (laughs) you know in a matter of days and that's that's fascinating to me
0: yeah man it's it's so difficult because it's um it it's it seems like a plight filled with overwhelming pain you know and it's like um and it's like um like you want to help you want to do something but it's it's almost overwhelming like how can you help you know people in that situation especially for me like it became it should have been more re- like it sh- yeah i what I, it it's i'm i'm a i'm very human in that like if it if if it wasn't for the fact that like it was knocking at my doors the the idea of like having family members being refugees because of the stuff that was happening in Nicaragua like yeah it like it's sh- it it showed me like um it just shows that it could happen to you <laughs> you know like it doesn't like it's weird I don't know it showed that it could happen to everyone or at least people yeah it's weird I don't know I it, and then I felt bad because I was like well you're you're an <laughs> asshole because <laughs> you didn't give a fuck about these people before and now look at your family and, you know and I'm like oh I don't know I don't know <laughs> it sucks well, I feel bad well,
1: I mean, that's a really human response as well. I mean, until it gets really personal, it's really difficult, right? If you look at all of these reports that have been talking about the different human rights injustices, the genocides happening uh, with the Rohingya, and you know, all of the refugee crisis all over the MENA region, right? Like, it's it's prevalent. It's Everywhere and it's so much that we have to self preserve by not feeling every emotion, right? Not, not everything can, can have equal weight, unfortunately. And then it, it's quite interesting. I think it was the New York Times put out an article last week about why was there so much uproar over the journalist who was murdered and dismembered in the Turkish embassy
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus all of the you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours of content worth of reporting that's gone out about these mass genocides and, and other injustices that the Saudi government has uh, you know, been guilty of, of committing. And it it goes back to our our, you know, Tim Ferris monkey brain where it's we we just can't handle all of that pain in aggregate. But the one true personal story, that personal story of the one man trying to do the right thing with a fiance, you know, we see ourselves in that individual and that makes it very personal, which makes it very real. And, you know, that goes back to that power of VR and 360 video and, and, you know, the importance of telling stories from that perspective, because, gosh, there is nothing more real than literally taking up that point of view. Um, you know, you, you, even if you don't have any sympathies toward the, the kind of actions or behaviors toward any one individual, you, you might think you have nothing in common. But gosh, when you see the decisions you have to make when you're up against the wall or the environment that you're put into and what else could you do it's, in 360, uh, that's so powerful, um, takes it way beyond hypotheticals
0: yeah i saw a statistic that um that showed that people who experienced three sixty experiences were more likely to donate to the u n or to the cause that was being like to i think it was a and it, it was it was some really like high high number like it was it was one of those numbers where like i don't yeah i don't want to quote it
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A, a I, I think we pose. I think
1: we can well I think we can <laughs> estimate I, I forget the exact number. I used to have it memorized because it was a great talking point, but uh, it was something over a little over four million dollars that was directly attributed uh, to viewing clouds of Residra mm-hmm. so because of that piece that the u n um, sponsored and put together and it was created by Gabo Aurora and Chris Milk. Um, that UN piece was uh, shown at different UN assemblies, meetings, um, you know, different embassy events all over the world, and because of that, they were they can directly attribute at least four million dollars worth of donations because of that film, or because of that VR experience, I should say.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. That's yeah, that's exciting. And- what do you envision the future of this looking like? Like if all goes really well, like what is the ultimate sort of perfect picture view of, of, of success for, for, you know, for these, for this way to communicate and and to get a message across and to mobilize people.
1: Yeah. I, you know, for me, I, I know that the VR, AR industry, um, it seems to be going through a, Uh, an inflection point right now because it's getting more and more difficult to differentiate between the VR, the AR, the XR, the MR, the every single R that you can think of. Um, And I think the reason is because for the longest time we've been talking about this technology as its own vertical, when really its future exists horizontally across every industry. I really do see this, uh, virtual and augmented reality communications being the future of computing, right? If we if we look back to way way back the way back machine, um, you know, early nineteen sixties, ARPA was created by the U.S. military to design uh, just just research, build, see what we can come up with, um, and they came up with computings in the very base codes of the internet. Uh, you know, early packet systems that they were developing through ARPA. And their intention always with the Internet and with computing was to enhance, digitally enhance the human experience. Uh, they were looking at haptics. They were looking at display screens. They were looking at full immersion, touch screens, everything. Everything that we know today, everything that we have today, was envisioned then. And I think that the the purest most optimistic view of the future of virtual and augmented reality is that it it is our going to be our natural computing system um that we we will be truly augmented as human beings through this technology
0: yeah what's um what's driving you personally to 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 do to be in vr but also to do these projects that like because here's the thing like you could do you do a million things in v r. right now, and a lot of them could make you a lot of money, but mm-hmm. you're doing something that is not necessarily about making money i think i'm I'm imagining I'm not sure
1: Oh, well, you know that's that's a it's an interesting way to put it. um you know i'm I'm not naturally a human being motivated by money. this is true. But uh, I do believe in the power of money to do good things, um, so we're we're def- we're definitely looking at making some money. Um, <laughs> we so so EV realities is a marketplace for virtual and augmented reality content. Oh, and it, it in its broadest sense, like that, that's what it is, right? It's almost like the the future of, you know, what Getty images could be if everything was to convert over to immersive content, that's what we're building. Um, You know, so anytime someone says, hey, this story really should be told in VR or we should do an AR uh, activation for something like this, anytime where it's appropriate, you know, starting now to say this should really be in some kind of VR, AR format. You, as the project manager, have to do one of two things. Either you look for pre-existing content uh, to tell that story, or you look for a creator to go and build it for you. Um, and that's our marketplace. Uh, right now, you can go on there and find hundreds of creators, uh, you know, skilled professionals who've been working in this industry for years, who can shoot you a beautiful... 360 video experience or, you know, build you the AR 3D content assets and, and, you know, applications, whatever it is that you need. Uh, We have such diverse set of skills on there. You can find anybody and and put them to work for you. Uh, And then as we continue to develop the marketplace, those same creators, um, you know, being the wonderful artistic minds that they are, they can put up, a- you know, any kind of content that they're developing. If they're self-producing, uh, you know, passion pieces, if they're doing, you know, if they're just running out to different, uh, you know, events and they've got the camera running, they capture something interesting, intriguing, they can throw that content up there as well. Um, you know, and then we're, we're talking with, you know, we're starting with newsrooms and digital publishers so that they, can find interesting content that they can put into a regular cadence so that their audiences on the web, um, you know, in their apps, can can regularly count on discovering VR content on the daily. Um, and I think it's, it's not until people just have it saturate their daily life. Regardless, I mean, I know we can go back and forth on good content versus shitty content versus, you know three degrees and six degrees of freedom. But the the honest truth about our behavior online is we just want variety. We just want choice. I, I can't tell you the number of shitty vines I've watched just because it was there and it was kind of interesting. Um, and that's human nature. So I think that once we, uh, you know, once we can help digital publishers, any digital publisher really be able to produce that content out and distribute it out on a regular basis, on a, on a regular cadence that is uh i think that's when we're going to see a major inflection inflection point on the usage of of vr ar the headsets the devices everything um
0: Mm -hmm. i'm sorry i'm sorry i didn't let you finish is there something else no that was it (laughs) um so i have a very investor investor investor-like kind of question so so an investor would come up and say like so can you describe the problem that you're solving you know from a perhaps from a bird, bird's-eye view and, and just sort of like uh, describe your, your methodology into how you're tackling the problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're a multi-site marketplace, but I'll start with our customers' problem, you know, and our customers are those digital publishers. And a you know, medium-sized premium publisher is going to produce about 10,000 hours of content on average per month. Just to give their audiences a variety of choice uh, for them to stay engaged with the brand, get onto their websites, get onto their uh, applications, all those things. And that content really translates to their advertising dollars. If you provide enough variety of engaging content for your users... Uh, the likelihood that they spend more time there and then the more ads that you can sell for, for them being present on that site. The problem is now you have so many people creating so much content um, that you know people have been doing just one-upping themselves over and over and over and we've seen that manifested in the fact that most people don't read beyond the headlines um, and sometimes the headline's enough to get a click and then they'll bounce away just long enough for them to be able to count it as a um, you know as an impression as a you know as a conversion or something of that nature hmm. so the you know what we're proposing here is that virtual and augmented reality being way more engaging far more interesting um, statistically speaking people spend more time in virtual reality when they're in the experience versus your likelihood to just bounce out after you know clicking on a YouTube video and then saying meh fuck it and moving on um you know so that's that's where we help our customers is is in providing you know redirecting some of that content spend that they're already creating and saying hey here is a faster more reliable way of producing VR content on the regular and VR content is far more engaging and the amount of click through on a call to action from within a VR uh experience um, has higher success rates, and therefore, it's worth experimenting with some of this ready-to-go content. Uh, the nice thing about the way that we're tackling it with the marketplace is that because the creators are the ones who are experimenting with form factor, storytelling, narratives—you know, all the all these different uh, creative questions that a lot of newsroom editors don't really know kind of what what's going to work in VR quite yet. They can just pick up content that's ready to be distributed, and they they do this with Storyful, they do this with Vox, they do this, you know, pretty much anybody who has a subscription to Getty does this. They're just looking for things that are ready to go, hit republish, and and put it out there. Um, But by allowing them to pick it up in this nature, they can actually test the metrics, who you know, what kinds of stories, at what posting time, um, you know, any any marketing manager will tell you they're they're always constantly iterating and experimenting. When and why are people clicking on certain stories, and can we produce more of that? Um, so th- that's really what we're hoping to to achieve for for our customers there.
0: Wow, yeah, that's um, so. I wonder what is what does your marketing strategy look like? How how do you plan to get the word out, and how do you how do you get people? onto the platform, you know, engaged and, and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we are, we are also experimenting with a number of different marketing strategies. Um, the, you know, the first one we're going on is just based on a pure, uh, just knowing what we know about how the VR industry is, is networked and is working. Um, you know, we're, we're working on a referral system. Um, so, you know, you, you can build your own professional portfolio Inside of the EV realities marketplace, and you know, we'll just give you more and more storage space for you to put different videos, different experimentations, etc. The more people that you're recommending, Um, so that's that's kind of a a tried and true valley approach to getting that network effect. But but beyond that, actually, one of one of my passion projects from within, uh, you know, this, this strategy the the knowledge-based wiki that we're building out. So um, there are, we're building out this uh, community wiki page, we're calling it, where anybody who is a registered user onto the EV reality site can talk a bit about their project. So last year I produced a piece um, with Yes, Please, Thank You and Discover, Discovery VR um, to go and shoot a 360 video in Antarctica So that's not something most people are going to do often. And I'm happy to put that story about, you know, how did we test? The, the equipment to make sure we knew and, you know, and our DP and our director were going to be able to switch out the batteries. How do you switch out SIM cards and subarctic temperatures? Where do you even go to test subarctic temperatures before you even deploy to Antarctica? Um, you know, all these different considerations, everything that we did to prep and also most importantly, why we chose to tell that story in 360, um, you know, and I, I can put up a wiki page about filming in three sixty and subarctic temperatures. And I know there are teams that have done this or have thought about doing this uh, in different regions around the world. And so they can they can find that. And people can find different information, this knowledge base of how to build these projects and why. and i'm I'm hoping that we'll do our part for getting more creators experimenting and thinking about their process and sharing it quite openly. And then it'll also help our customer base get some new ideas and a better baseline understanding of what it takes to really achieve some of these projects.
0: Yeah. I feel like um, marketing is one of those questions that um, or subjects that, that doesn't get Touched upon enough in the virtual reality circles. <laughs> like, there's a lot of talk about hardware, and a lot of talk about like how do we like, you know, like um, you know, games, and and there's a lot of talk about like, but there's not a lot of talk about like how do we get more people in VR? How do we get more people? How do we get them um, coming back? Because um, mm-hmm. it seems like you know the people that yeah, because we're already here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean we're we're here and you know where we're all a bunch of uh like you know, yeah like I said we're all we're all a bunch of very hopeful optimistic folks and um, and weirdos I mean. and weirdos I mean you don't get anywhere without the weirdos pushing the boundaries and asking the hard questions that most people would rather not have to address right but as far as getting more people into VR I'm 100% in agreement with folks that like we need more content hmm. but I'm not so particular – I'm going to say something heretical here. I'm not so particular about the quality of the content, to be quite honest. Um, I think it's more about democratizing the access to creator tools because the Internet is what it is. It's this massive decentralized aggregator of everybody's own little corner of the world. It's, uh, you know, most of the stuff that we read is because, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says it best, right? Like, everybody is their own, uh, everyone's their own brand, everyone's their own marketing team. Like, you're, you are all content producers. Um, so we're not just consuming content, we create it on the daily. And the major problem with the stickiness of VR, in my opinion, is that because not everybody feels empowered to create it, they don't feel personally connected to it and they don't seek it out. It's also really difficult to find VR content online. Almost everybody has segregated their VR content from their regular content because they built a separate app. They have it on a separate YouTube channel. They have it on a separate Vimeo channel. And, you know, my my opinion is why why would you do that? (laughs) You've spent so much time building up the SEOs and everything to your main pages. Send people there and, and, you know, make it no different than discovering content in general. Mm.
0: If someone were to come up to you and ask you, what is what is the current state of, of VR? How would you respond?
1: Mm. I would say the current state of VR is in a chrysalis stage. Tell me I more. I think, so, I mean, we've had a lot of... Uh, f- We've had a lot of missteps. Um, we've had a lot of companies come and go just in the last couple of years. Um, I think with with Magic Leap having taken so much uh, investor funding as
0: well, I keep and then hearing that you're not yeah. the first person, you're like the fifth person to tell me tell tell me that
1: it's true. Okay, as someone who is raising VC money now. I can tell you, like the you know, where they choose to put their dollars is is a, a huge um, a huge vote toward what is going to be the future of this industry. And two point three billion dollars went to Magic Leap before they released a product, or even a demo, or an SDK, or even a creator community, or anything at all. Um and considering I think the uh the VR industry today is that va- like in two thousand eighteen is valued just like around eight billion dollars alone. Hmm. Um, that's a lot. That's like a quarter of, of the money that's out there uh for for developing this. And and I think also, you know, you saw some of this with the product release uh of the first uh developer kit with Magic Leap back in August almost everything on twitter and social media in response to that release was that eh, you know that the demos they're not that great and they have a bunch of enterprise partnerships but they really didn't get indies involved uh indie creators and that i think is where you get a lot of the fun kind of wackadoo experiments and things that get people interested and, and and engaged and um you know, I, and I so I think some of the animosity in the VR industry is also just because Magic Leap chose not to really engage with the indie creator scene.
0: Yeah, and what if Magic Leap fails?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, well I mean there's that too. <laughs>
0: <'Cause> what <laughs> would that two two point three billion dollar crater, what would that what would that look like? Uh what would that do to VR? Mm. I mean that's what John Oaks was telling me, friend John Oakes was telling me, he's like, Yeah, yeah. you know, if, if Magic Leap fails it seems like we're putting a lot of money on this one horse, you know, it's like, uh, and it, and if it fails, it's going to leave a $2.3 billion crater. Mm-hmm. And what is that? How is that going to affect VR? You know, it's already affecting VR. We're like, I'm hearing so many people having a hard time raising funding.
1: Yeah. You know? Well, you know, and it's interesting. I mean, and you have to think about it from an investor perspective, which I have been trying to do so more and more. And... And you know most investors that they can raise their first fund um, on speculation on trends on you know big vision ideas about where this industry will be going and, and that their first round of companies that they invest in you know are going to make something of themselves. Uh, there were a couple of significant exits in in the first few years, but you um, you know, for the most part, a lot of companies have gone under, which is not unusual for startups. But now it's how do you raise a second round when everyone seems to be floundering a bit? And, you know, I mean, let's put it in perspective. You know, Facebook, it has they bought Oculus in was it 2013, 2014, 2014. Yeah, 2014. They bought Oculus for two billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, which was arguably a much more mature product at that time than Magic Leap, who raised $2.3 billion out of pure speculation. And they weren't even really a fully formed company at the time. So there's something about going, you know, and, and, of course, like uh, with with Facebook, you get a lot of politicking going between you know who's really running Oculus now and and things going on on the other side of the fence with Facebook, but at least they have that parent company to help support. And I don't think there's anything Zuckerberg's gonna do to let that two billion a dollar investment fail. Um, you know, I think they're they are fully committed to making sure that that does not create a creator there and and they're fully committed to its success. With Magic Leap, though, they're kind of out there on their own. I mean, they have some really heavy hitter investors who are there to help guide and, and, and uh, secure that investment. But at the same time, man, they are isolating themselves in Florida. They are uh, taking some big risks in, in the sense that, you know, they, they were trying to get some celebrity endorsements. And Beyonce famously said, "Nah, not that cool. Um when she got to try it, wonder when she was still under NDA, you know, so there's, there's a, there's a lot of risk with that, you know, throwing that 2.3 billion out there on a, on a new company.
0: Yeah, it, there is. And I'm thinking like, what if, if Zuckerberg runs for president in 2020, what's going to happen uh-huh. to Oculus? Uh-huh. I mean, honestly, we should really uh-huh. be having this, this conversation because the rumors are real. You know
1: did- oh the the rumors are very real I yeah I don't know I gosh it's it's also really I mean I'm a dreamer and I, I imagine quite a lot but it's really difficult to imagine a, a a world that feels more dystopian than the one we're in now but I think Zuckerberg for president in in our next election feels even more dystopian than that just given the amount of oversight he has on Every single person on this planet running Oculus, which is, you know, its own little, like, oh, man. Yeah, just the things that you can do to people in their subconscious in VR alone. Like, just knowing he has all of that at his disposal, Um, you know, and now we have a president who's set the precedent on not stepping away from your financial interests while in office. So then the big question is, like, would he... Like would Zuckerberg stay on like as, as president? Would he like of, of Facebook? Would he be? He would he continue to run as a CEO? Like absent CEO, just you know, hold my spot and, until I get back. Like what? What? I don't even know. I don't want to. I really don't want to imagine that world. To be honest,
0: <laughs> <laughs> anything could happen at this point. Honestly, anything anything can happen. And in a and and I I. I don't mean to like put this like thought in your mind, but we're already here, so might as well. If you had to choose between Donald Trump and Mark Zuckerberg, who would you vote for?
1: Oh, <laughs> I think I just died a little inside. I don't know. Um, gosh, clear, I mean, I guess I would have to say clearly Zuckerberg, but I maybe I'm only saying that because I know too much about Trump now. But you know honestly I really don't know what Zuckerberg is all about. I watched that PBS special, the Frontline special last weekend. Um and I still don't feel like I have a good sense about what what this man's morals and 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 like what does he stand for? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, ever since the Cambridge Analytica stuff for me, like I mean, that was just for me that was a turning point. It's it's all like yeah, it's weird. It's it's weird to be on Facebook for me, you know, it's I don't know. And it's like, and I don't want to leave it because there's so many, like connections and people that I can reach out to and be like, hey, you know, long time, <laughs> no talk. Let's, yeah,
1: well, let's gosh, go. you know, and I think Gen Z really is going to lead the way on that. Um, so many i you know so many of them are are deleting facebook apps off of their phones actually like i didn't well, i mean my logic was flawed but i said hey i don't i don't want facebook having access to all my things so I, I did not download the facebook app onto my pixel when i bought it um but then i was like oh but instagram's really cool and i and i was like wait a second <laughs> it's the same thing
0: yeah.
1: so uh yeah whatever out of the frying pan into the boiling pot,
0: yeah, yeah. This is what the internet has become in two thousand eighteen. The just a few websites, you know. That's Reddit for me. That's Reddit. Like that's my wo- that's where I like spend. Oh yeah, that's the internet for me. Like <laughs> <laughs> that, the internet.
1: Yeah, no, the the re- Reddit definitely is my my internet. I, I wake up and and go to sleep with with reading reddit and different subreddits and whatnot but i'm definitely a
0: lurker i i get so nervous about
1: posting content on there
0: yes me too yeah me too i uh god yeah i was i was crazy i i i had the you know when i was posting i I had more like uh testosterone more younger male testosterone and i didn't give a Mm. fuck but Mm -hmm. now i'm more i'm more uh, um i i like to say i'm more domesticated and um (laughs) And and so I, I, I yeah I, I lurk a lot more. I'm I'm just more careful about like posting on on Reddit. Like I want to make sure that like, you know. And I don't get... Why do I even give a fuck about upvotes and downvotes? They don't even real. It's just that that psychology though. Like that psychology gets to me. Like the fact that that even gets me. You know like. Uh, it's definitely control like
1: reddit is one of the most meta experiences ever because we all know these points are not real they're not going toward anything they don't translate gold doesn't even transfer to anything but gosh that that pride that you feel over some kind of uh anonymous validation like what what um and we're but we're all aware of it too and we all engage and we all want it uh Uh, So, yeah, so, so there's that. I don't even know what to do with that with Reddit. And I think my and I get what you're saying about like, you know, before, I mean, I never had young male testosterone. uh, (laughs) but, But I can understand that that risk taking mentality of like, oh, hell, I'm just gonna post this and damn the consequences. Um, you know, I I did have that initial experience on Reddit as well, because I guess I was just under the mindset of like, well, it's anonymous. I I came with a really clever username. No one will ever figure out who I am. And now we live in a, in a reality where I'm like, they probably could though. Uh, Mm -hmm. Someone probably could figure out what my Reddit username is. Like if they really cared enough um, and then they saw all of my activity on Reddit. It's like, would I would I be willing to stand up without a mask of anonymity and and own up to the things that I'm reading and engaging on in, in Reddit? I don't know.
0: I know. Yeah, and it's and it's like, uh, for me, like uh, before before marijuana became legal in California, edibles used to be fucking strong. I mean, they used to <laughs> knock you on your fucking ass and they were great they were great and um i remember like they would give me, um a, a couple times the edibles gave me like these like this like super human confidence mm-hmm. and, but 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 with like superhuman wow. confidence but with all the stupidity that stupidity that came with like the edible you know like i, I could barely form sentences and i remember i went on Our fitness the subreddit because I ha- mm-hmm. I was so thankful to them, I I I would lurk in that subreddit for so long, just like getting fitness advice and all these tips. Uh-huh. And I was thankful to them, and I wanted to type a nice thank you message to them, and um and I and that was when I realized that like never never ever go on the internet high on edibles. <laughs> it's just not a good idea. Like don't post. You can lurk, you can look, but don't post anything. Because what <laughs> happened was, I remember like. I'm making some like random sentence like our fitness, thank you, you guys, great, thank you. Like, I had like some sort of stroke, you know, like it was just <laughs> <laughs> and people it's like I'm
1: saying the same thing over and over, yeah, yeah.
0: And then people were like, um, and then and then I posted that, and then the first comment that came out was like, uh, W U T, yeah, what. <laughs> What? <laughs> and that's when I realized I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, what am I doing? I'm making a fool out of myself." The NSA knows. Now I gotta delete this, and so I deleted right? it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was one of those learning lessons, and like, and and now that like a bunch of people, you know, are uh, going into like a uh, this legalization, like there it seems like um, one of the things that like one of the upsides of this past election was like a. Uh, legalization became um available in michigan and a couple other states Mm -hmm. like if you're listening and you're from michigan dude just be careful with edibles and going on social media they they will (laughs) this is the my public service announcement um yeah and and it's
1: good too because people people as soon as someone like puts a stamp of approval on something um suddenly i don't know what happens to your psychology we're just like oh okay it's regulated now it should be fine no, that shit'll still knock you <laughs> on
0: your ass. <laughs> yes. yes, I mean, and this is, and I, I, I always somehow come back to this because I feel like there's gonna be people who are gonna be able to capitalize on these two industries beautifully. VR and marijuana go well, really. Like seriously, mm-hmm. they go really well. And like the moment people realize that, like, oh, maybe these VR arcades, we're doing them all wrong. Maybe, 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 maybe it's not just like. VR that people want to come experience. Maybe people want to be stoned as fuck and then go in VR and just, it's yeah, it's, I think, I think there's like, there's, there's space for creativity here. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. Like, like, um, like it seems like we're copying is, it seems to be the norm. Like we're copying a lot of like best practices and it seems like, okay, well, if that person is successful, then I'm going to be successful with, you know, with their strategy but like but yeah it would be nice to see more um creativity and like risk taking not not like um yeah it was it, it's not like the early days of experimentation with VR I don't know
1: yeah well you know I, I and mean, some of some of my favorite uh you know VR experiences are just ones are, they're things that just tap into those visceral human experience moments um yeah I did uh I did, what experience was this a couple weeks ago? Um, And anyway, it it was a, like, it was like a sound bath, sound healing, immersive experience. And you have the haptic vests. And it was actually, um, instead of having the actual, like, bells, like glass bowls for for the sound baths, the DJ had a, like, you know, different ethereal sounds and things that he could synchronize with the haptic vests mm. and you were wearing you know these really wonderful big all-encompassing headphones so you're getting these really beautiful ethereal sounds and you're vibrating with the haptic vests and if you're fully you know present in your meditation during that like man that's an amazing experience and i would rather have more of those kind of uses of full immersion um, than, you know, recreating a, a story or, or something else. Because for that, you know, I think we, we should feel welcome to go outside and experience life. There's some places you can't. And for that, you know, I'm all about that 360 camera or, or building something out in, in Unity or Unreal to, to capture that. But I think more than anything, and especially necessary in, in the times we're in now, it's so important to feel things yeah. And I think fully immersing yourself in in VR AR allows you to really feel different levels of human emotion, and then it's like how do you experiment to draw that out into people? Yeah. Is it colors? Is it sounds? Is it different smells? You know, everything's so connected, and I'm just so excited for the convergence of all of that.
0: Yeah, I was, um man. It's it's, it's it, you feel something. It's I'm a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent correct. I was in. Um, I was in VR chat and I was being a mute. Sometimes I go in and I speak to everybody. I'm like, I'm a chatty chatty catty, or sometimes mm-hmm. I'm a mute. And, and and it's like, and it's a fun experiment in my mind to like see the two kinds of interactions that come at me. Like in this one time I was a mute um, and I was um, speaking to someone who was like uh, telling me about like, uh, he seemed younger like uh definitely like a high school or 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 in that younger age range age range and he was telling me how his girlfriend started started paying attention to his best friend Mm -hmm. and like um and how he introduced them to each other and now they're only hanging out with each other and they're ignoring him and it was like um and and then he started like going into this like having these like darker thoughts and i and then i just got up stop from listening and i came closer to him and i just hugged him like in vr like I, I put my arms around him and i hugged him um and then he's like oh i wish there were more people like you in the world like it was like and and it was and that's all i did and it was i i hugged him and then we hung out a little longer just me doing like mute things m- m- you know miming stuff mm-hmm. but um but yeah but that was but 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 you couldn't do that with an emoji you can't do yeah. that with a with a like hugs on a text like that doesn't it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel the same you when i hugged that person like i felt something yeah. and they felt something cuz of the way they responded back to me like like he seemed yeah so much more safe there all of a sudden and it was uh, yeah. yeah it was really human it was really human you know it's um so yeah i don't know it's, it's um, yeah.
1: It's a it's. I mean, it, and that's a. It's a beautiful story because I think that is you know. So many people are talking about the power of connecting folks to each other about how you know VR needs to be social in nature and how it's going to connect us all and um, what's you know what's Facebook's mission the world more open and connected and I don't know if it, you know. If a focus on on gaming necessarily, I mean that's that's one way that people can relate with each other, but uh, yeah, I mean the story that you just told is it's incredible in the way that people really can connect beyond language. Um, you know, we we tend to think of stories as something that's language driven when when really like it, it isn't like you can do a full mime uh you know piece you can watch an opera in another language and not understand but you know the sounds the the visuals the environment all those things like they just touch deep into that human connection and human understanding and really all it's doing is pulling your empathy uh you know in your previous life experiences and it, it you know, no one no one has to tell you like you don't have to have that same experience of you know what what that young man, young man felt of his girlfriend and his best friend um, you know, hanging out with each other after he introduced them, but maybe you have something similar of, you know, having someone choose someone else over you and that's enough to tap into empathy. Gosh, you don't you don't even need to get there with words. Yeah.
0: And that's what keeps me coming back to VR chat because like it's hard for like if I were to walk down San Francisco, like just walking down the street and like in, in the in the with the intention to f- to, to bounce into someone that would like reveal themselves like this person did in vr chat like it would be a lot more difficult i think mm-hmm. i would i i do agree that like there are really nice people though i would but no one would open up like that quickly to me yeah
1: you know? and actually quite opposite like i've had people like on the bus or on the bart that open up to you right away and um tell you all kinds of super personal things oh, i'm no. like whoa boundaries oh no um, it's stranger danger. I don't know who you are. Why are you telling me these things? Oh, my God. Um, you know, and how weird is it, though, that it feels... Uh, maybe it's just because it doesn't feel physically threatening uh, talking to someone in digital environments that way that allows you to be vulnerable. But, yeah, but if someone on BART starts opening up that way to me right away, I, I do have to admit I get a little nervous.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, de- definitely the context, the environment, like all all of that is um, being taken into account into the in these interactions. And they're like, yeah, it's it's. I feel like we're at the edge of something, and I don't know what that is, but we're at the edge of something here.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, one of the things that it, that it uh, brings to mind for me, I mean, just the the female experience of being in technology. Uh, you know, even even forming my avatars in in VR chat and in a couple of other places, but, you know, I tend to choose like I identify as female, and I tend to choose more feminine quality traits, either in colors that I'm choosing or um, avatars and and like their physical traits and attributes, these kinds of things. And and so it, you know, I do get gendered in in digital spaces where maybe I don't necessarily have to. But that female experience of, of feeling safer sometimes in a digital environment, like that anonymity we were talking about on Reddit, on Reddit no one knows I'm female and that's great um, to a certain extent because that I don't experience the same levels of harassment um, that I do just in general in, in life, out in public or um, you know, if I'm in VR chat and I'm using one of the female avatars I've had a lot of people get into my personal space before, um, start making comments, you know, and uh, or start talking to me in languages that they think I don't understand, uh, but, but I do. And they're saying really vulgar things, um, you know, because it's also kind of a, a consequence free environment, which for better or worse, sometimes it's like, you know, sometimes it can be used uh, for good because now I, I feel safer in there because I can protect myself through protecting my identity uh, and then other times it feels very threatening when when, when people do know it, um, which almost is more more true to life because it's, you know, I don't choose to hide the fact that I am female when I'm out in the world. So that comes with its own set of uh, unfortunate realities um, just in, in where we are today.
0: Yeah. It sucks because, like... Yeah, you you're right in that there are really like um uh, unsavorable unsavory experiences that you'll run into in VR chat and like easily and my my thing is is like uh, like it's like um it's 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 harder for me to stand up for myself when it's when I'm when it's more than one one guy being racist in VR chat. Mm-hmm. It's like when it's a gang of them it's like uh fuck I'll just report you or, be, or or block you and i'm or i'll just leave like i don't, why am i bothering like but it's like uh but if it's if it's one person it's like a, it's a lot easier to like stand up for yourself i don't know it's yeah but they're uh yeah the, out of the 10 times out of 10 worlds like one will have a bad experience for sure and i and i realize that i'm like well do i want to be shield do i Hmm. It's like a uh, it's like it's like um I had I had this like thought I was like, well, do we want VR to sort of baby us to like to like um to 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 not show us like um cuz one thing um I I go back to like uh like the Vietnam War and how like uh, the 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 journalist and the reporters were coming back with like really, really gruesome images and, and just like some of some really, you know, some some stories that people weren't used to. And they saw and, and people saw the reality of, of war, but the way it was supposed to be like, I wonder if like if we. Do we do we hide the reality of humanity or do we like that there are really assholes there there are assholes out there, <laughs> you know, that there and they don't mean well and Mm -hmm. it sucks that they're out there but like but yeah it's hard it's hard because I'm on the one hand I'm like I want people to have freedom of expression but I also want people to be safe and I don't know where that balance is like (laughs) you know like I I don't like like it's like uh, it's weird you know it's like it's weird because it's like um, when Trump calls the like the the migrant caravan an invasion like like he's like that sounds like war rhetoric you know mm-hmm. so it's,
1: it's fear-mongering yeah
0: it's weird so it's,
1: <laughs> it's wrong <laughs> it's, it's outright right it wrong. is
0: it's really it's 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 yeah it's that it's all of that and it's like yeah. um so so is well, that like you know, so, I, is, so is that like uh, so it's like i don't know so where's the line of like you're are you trying to like are you just being an asshole a jerk because you can because it's your first amendment right or are you just are you being an asshole because deep inside you're you know thinking about murdering millions of people (laughs) or, or or create or creating some sort of ethnic ethno state like i don't know i don't know it's weird i don't i can't figure out people's intentions are you are you being funny or are you being a true nazi like what are you i don't know
1: Oh man i you know, and then he, there's like hidden argument number three, which is if you think being a Nazi is funny, we maybe have another problem to talk about
0: that too that's too. Um, yeah you know
1: you like you you may think you're being funny, but you know if it quacks like a duck, gosh, um yeah I, I don't know i you know and I think what what you described about trying to like understand this this uh, eternal dichotomy between freedom of expression and keeping people safe I think this is something that all like every parent wrestles with you know just in raising children in general um and I, I mean i I don't know I'm not a mother myself but you know, having had parents and still have parents, I I know that they're always trying to walk that line between giving me space and wings to fly and go and do my own thing and and be my my true self and constantly worried, though, that that is going to end up destroying me in some way, Um, you know, because of the risks that I take. So I don't think there's any real thing. And I guess that's also why I love the Reddit community so much. You, see, you know, you have moderators where it's like, okay, like you've been banging your head against the wall for a little too long now. Like <laughs> for the sake of you and everybody else, we're going to stop that behavior. Uh, and, but they don't really over censor anything, right? If it's something that if it's a parent that you're not learning the consequence of your actions after you know, all kinds of pushback and warnings and everything else, you know, then they'll shut it down and rightfully so. Um, but for the most part, I think, you know, it's it's one way of building out a community that lets them determine for themselves what, uh, you know, what's right for them. And I think in the end that's, that's all you really can do. Um, you know, for me, it's just the, the boundaries I draw in terms of building community. It's like, you know, if you're doing something that's genuinely Un, uncaring um, or unthoughtful in some way of uh, of, of another human being, um, you know that that need, that just that's just ill advised and it just needs to stop. Um, but you know everybody has different thresholds for that. Um, but but I think the communities you know once you start building communities in VR, they're. They get pretty good at self-policing themselves um, and knowing when when an environment feels right and when it doesn't. I think the only problem is when you have things like R. the Donald where the prevailing norm is vitriol and violence and hate and you can't self-police yourself because no one there can see the difference between right and wrong in their own actions because they just kind of self-perpetuating and self-feeding themselves the same uh, reinforcing loops of the comments that they're making um you know that's when someone needs to come in and intervene in that community
0: yeah it's um there's there's so many issues interwoven here that it's like a a a really tangled up spider's web worth of conversations and angles (laughs) that we can go into and it's just like I mean, where do you even begin? So I'm going to stay on topic here and ask you about. (laughs) Um, Let's do some time traveling. If you could go back in the past, you know, right before you're about to step into VR, what advice would you give to your past self?
1: Oh, um, right before stepping into VR, I would say uh, save up some money. <laughs> and 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 start like just just experimenting with every VR headset that comes out there. Um, you know, I, I think in, in early days there were some more supportive programs. Um, you know, different options you could do if you participated in different things to get your hands on a developer kit and and, um, and whatnot. But now it's kind of it's it's a weird time now being a, a minority founder developing a technology that I can't actually afford <laughs> to keep up with like all the expensive hardware and things that are coming out yeah. uh, that's that's a weird one you know um, I remember when I, I was dating someone who was uh, developing for Google Glass like back in the day. And yeah, and he, he out of pocket could afford a couple of different developer kits and those things was $1,500 for a little Google Google glass headset. Um, and I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's a lot, you know, and, um, that's never something I've been financially prepared to do in terms of buying up all these different kits and stuff. And, um, so yeah, I would say, uh, save up specifically for being able to acquire and experiment with different hardware,
0: save up a lot of money.
1: <laughs> yeah, save up, save up a lot of money while you're still gainfully employed uh, and up uh, bootstrapping and and so you know having seen the light and you're like, oh my god, I really want to like dive into this like realm of high technology. Like, great, save every penny you can while you're still employed.
0: And so. That being said, if people when people approach you and they ask you, "Hey, I want to get into VR. I want to be part of the industry. Like, how, what do you what What advice do you give them? What direction do you point them in?"
1: Uh, I say, get, like, get into community as fast as possible. That is um, honestly, like that that is, has been what's keeping us alive. Uh, you know, as a couple of entrepreneurs, we're, we're bootstrapped. We're we're scrappy. We're hustling. Um, the The community, the VR community. Uh, all over, but you know, deep in my heart, it's the San Francisco VR community. Uh, really comes through for each other. Um, you know, whether it's borrowing or loaning people equipment or different things. Yeah, you can use this computer right now if you need it for a bit of time, or you can do. Um, you know, we have some we have some office space if you want to run an event and do this. Um, the community is really coming through, and so if you're if you're someone who really wants to dive in and and you think you've got nothing to offer or you don't know anybody, Uh, you know, every, everybody's valuable. Um, I'm sure you're valuable in some way, shape or form and and your brain can come up with, you know, copy. I'm sure you can take photographs. You can do um, all kinds of things to help out people in the VR community. And everyone has just been so welcoming and paying it forward and paying it back. Um, so that's that's the one thing I, I always recommend to folks. If you want to get into VR, get into the VR community.
0: Yeah, you can't afford to be competitive and, like, cutthroat right now because, like, mm-hmm. it's, we're, like, VR is in the fight for its life. So yeah. we need all, like, hands on deck to be collaborative and be, like, chill and, like, you know, share info and tips with each other because, you know, that's how we'll all survive together and make, you know, make the industry something uh something that's valuable for society Some, yeah
1: yeah something truly magical we all have to be rowing in the same direction
0: yeah yeah it's yeah and yeah it's and it's it's hard to it's hard because scarcity makes people mean
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well okay so maybe that's another piece of advice like adopt an abundance mindset right the mm. the learning mindset the abundance mindset take on those, but those, those are two things that are just going to make you successful in community anyway. Um, you know, so, so I think you won't be too successful being in community in general, whether it's VR or any other community, if you don't have this like learning, humble abundance mindset <laughs> that, yeah. uh, you know, that, 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 there is enough, uh, there, there is enough for everyone to contribute.
0: There is enough. And in fact that you just, and you just inspired me to put them, put the word out there. If anybody wants to join, um my suicide squad it's not what you think it's actually it's so I'm trying to put together a group of people who will go around VR chat looking for people who are like really like you know down and like cuz I see a lot of people joke about suicide in VR chat oh, dude. and and it's like um so maybe like we can put together a group of people that will like will 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 hunt around for like people who are like in distress and we'll go give them hugs or something like that that sounds like a terrible idea. Now that I think about it, but like.
1: no, it doesn't. Oh my gosh! Like the number—I mean, most people who are you know at risk don't. Like you, just something switches in your brain when you when you're suffering from that kind of depression that you think you're a burden to everyone. So, tends to be the reason why most of them don't reach out uh, before something happens. So, I think learning learning both digitally and in real life how to look out for those signals is is just such a huge gift to your fellow man.
0: Yeah. You know what? Something Something interesting I realized. I'm like, um, how do we, how do we, how do you, I don't have children. and But I thought about, I was like, if I have children and they grew up, you know, when they're teenagers like 20 years from now or something, I don't know. Like, I'm going to be old as fuck and I'm going to be dated. And I remember my parents had no clue. What they were getting themselves into when they brought internet into that house, and I was a twelve-year-old boy, <laughs> because they opened unleashed Pandora's box worth of porn for me, and it was like, <laughs> you know, it was like, and so I'm, I think, I think about it, and I'm like, well, shit, you know, when I'm an old fuck, I'm gonna have a kid, and when, you know, I'm not, and and here's the thing, my parents didn't know, didn't, they didn't know, they didn't know that that I, I was gonna find. Sure, they didn't know. Well, I don't. Well, I don't think they knew to the degree, you know. That yeah, I maybe
1: would, to the degree. I, I give I give parents a lot of credit for for knowing more
0: than they let on. I've watched so much Dragon Ball Z porn. It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> and so I um I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, like when I'm an old fuck, I have kids. You know, if if I do, like, I'll like because climate change. I don't even fucking know if I am, but like, but if. Uh, but, if I do how do i how will I protect them in a technological realm that I'm gonna be outdated in, and that makes me like and it makes me like think about like, well, fuck, you know, we just elected like Diane Feinstein and she's gonna be ninety one by the next time she runs for reelection, oh, <laughs> man. so it's like oh you know, I don't know,
1: yeah i you know i. And, and maybe that's not – I mean, to your point, right, if Diane Feinstein is going to be 91 the next time around and you're worried about how are you going to pr- – maybe it's not up to you. Maybe it, sh- it shouldn't be the people who don't know oh, yeah. who are the ones who are trying to uh, control and regulate and, and, quote, keep people safe, uh, right? I mean – Unfortunately, it's just an it's just a it's just an unfortunate thing. I think that people in older generations, for a number of reasons don't keep up with technological changes and And this is not a true statement for everyone right? You see a lot of um, baby boomers and and folks in technology, like you know, I mean, you want to tell me that Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and all them don't know what's going on in the world. Like, I mean, they might not be, you know, regular Facebook users, but I don't think they need to be, right? They understand what's happening. And they're obviously very successful businessmen, but that's because they had that learning mindset to just continually ask questions and seek new answers, uh, new ways of doing things. And I don't know what hits you. Maybe it's just general fatigue uh, after a time where you stop asking questions and you stop learning and maybe that's the bigger problem when you talk about you know how will you keep your children safe
0: i want to ask bill gates you know i i wonder like I, I, just to like follow up on your point like i want to ask bill gates what he thinks about tiktok and about mm. it, what they think about tiktok because you just you you heard over the news last weekend right tiktok became the most valuable startup in the world valued at 75 billion dollars Whereas yeah. Uber was seventy two, TikTok is seventy five, and what is it? It's kids lip syncing. What?
1: Well, it it was, and then the teenagers started doing some real sketchy stuff on it, and then and now I think they 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 were sold, and now they're blended with another Chinese company because now all the TikTok videos that I find are like animals being derps, huh. so. <laughs> It's it's it even that even TikTok is is evolving because they they hit some controversy about like what the kids were doing because they were all trying to one up each other on there right you know it was, it was the same syndrome that Snapchat got hit with where the kids were like and everyone's like oh isn't this child pornography what they're doing and it's like you know yeah yes it is um, you know so they had to find a way to put a stop to that before the company became uh, responsible and liable but. I, I, I mean, it'd be it'd be fascinating to me yeah, to hear hear what what Bill Gates and all them have to say uh, about these massive valuations on on companies that are like just a few years old.
0: And how and, is that valuable? How is that seventy five billion dollars worth? That's oh, because
1: advertising, oh, media content. I mean, most of these companies are valued just on the uh, the number of people you have in that network, right? So between. The number of people contributing content and the number of people watching that content and then how you tie it all back to advertising sales because you have so much content for people to engage with, that's the value, right? The same way Facebook was valuable, uh, you know, because it built a massive network of people before selling any advertising. I mean, they didn't start selling advertising until Sheryl Sandberg came on board, um, you
0: know, so, so is that, YouTube? Would so is YouTube like a trillion-dollar company because of they've been longer than TikTok and they have that much more data than than TikTok? Like,
1: I don't know if time really has anything to do with it. Uh, inter- I mean, I you know, there's so many sketchy ways to to value a company. Yeah. Um. There, there is no hard and a hard and fast way of of truly setting that value i think that's that's one of the major headaches of a company when they're trying to ipo um but even doing like priced like price rounds of investment raising uh investment investment rounds that you're raising um is uh every every major accounting agency has a a different set of metrics and different set of key deliverables and, and milestones things that people are looking at i mean heck like what what makes ev realities successful in our traction metrics the metrics we use are going to be completely different than what any other virtual reality company is going to use as their metrics that demonstrate traction so i think overall value is just what what can you eventually turn into sales like what what it's it's almost um it's like trying to measure kinetic energy like how how much potential about what you're building up there do you have uh and then the big question is can you capitalize on that and actually turn that kinetic value into real money
0: yeah i'll tell you honestly when i heard about that 75 billion dollar valuation i just threw up in my hands in the air and i was like we're in the bubble we're in a fucking bubble. How is it possible that I've never even heard of this fucking company? Out of nowhere they get seventy-five billion dollars. It's crazy. I was cra- oh, and, and I was like, imagine what that would have done to the VR industry. Seventy five billion dollars worth of it like oh 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 my god.
1: Well, remember that's that's their value. That's not necessarily how much money's gone into it. But out of curiosity, when did when did you what like when you read that article? Is that the first time you'd heard of TikTok?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: Well, I mean, and in fairness, I mean they're tackling the Asian markets. It's a Chinese company,
0: hmm. so
1: um, yeah, I think te- things things tend to reach us a little differently when when they're like going crazy over there, and we're in our own uh, bubble yeah. <laughs> here in the United States. We got a lot of things going on.
0: Yeah, that that's yeah, truly we do. It's yeah, and. Uber is gonna go for an 120 billion dollar valuation next week, so it's it's. I think it's like, I don't know. That dad brought an, a a sense of balance to my mind. I'm like, okay, all right, that that's fair. I guess that makes sense. I don't well, know. I, mean, I don't know what I mean, makes sense to be frank. But
1: remember, also, I mean, like, yeah, Uber, like Uber is a is a technology company, obviously, um, but they can only scale so much, right? Based on all of the Real life assets that they have with the drivers, the cars, Uber Eats, um, all, all the things Uber does like requires real people and real assets. So your ability to scale that is different than your ability to scale software. And it all goes back to Moore's Law and the exponentials there about this. You know, with something like TikTok, you could scale infinitely because of the amount of content. That people are generating Um, you know it's it's a lot less friction and a lot less costs especially since most people are just filming things on their phone Uh, it's so much easier for people to engage with that platform to throw up videos than to get a new driver to sign on, pass a security clearance have proper insurance, yada yada yada
0: Mm, yeah and I wonder what the calculation is here like well I guess yeah there's there's so many yeah it's such a it's such a complex question but i yeah but it was super interesting to me to to think about that but um but where i want to go back where i want to head to now is i want to i want to actually start bringing things full circle um because what i did mention was um earlier was that um one of the reasons one of the many reasons why i started the podcast and i think this is going to sound repetitive to everyone who's been listening to this but like oh well um one of the many reasons why i started the podcast was because i I had this 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 question this statement in my mind that i kept repeating over and over again that was like chris at the very beginning when i got into vr like I, i had this thought that was like chris you know 20 years from now like people are gonna wonder like these people at the early days of VR, like what were they thinking? You know, what were they, their hopes, their fears, like their their aspirations? Like what were they really thinking, you know? And, and, so, and so this podcast has sort of been like a vehicle to answer that question um, mm-hmm. where I've been doing it for five years and I can see myself doing it for 20 more years. And in that way, we're going to answer that question. We're going to become a time capsule for you. Um, so in the year 2038, you're going to get an email from me exactly 20 years from now. Okay. And it's going to say, hey, hey Erika, this is, this is the message that you sent to yourself back in 2018 to yourself in 2038. So, uh, so here we are. Um, what message would you, would you send to yourself, to your future self?
1: Oh, man. What, like, so what message am I sending to myself yep. about what, what we were able to
0: achieve? about anything i mean now it's a time capsule where 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 um it's 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 open to interpretation frankly because but but because you're one of these people that are like at the very beginning at the early stage right at the epicenter of vr like you know again i i wonder like and people are gonna wonder like what were you thinking <laughs> who's going through your mind and again and this is the uh, the platform to send that message to that to that future
1: Okay, okay, so it's it's me sending it out to the future, not my future self talking to me.
0: No, yeah, it's you to the future. Okay, yep.
1: Me today telling the future. You know, okay. So in my mind today, I like I am so driven to share and like just amplify the stories and the voices of people we don't usually get to hear from. You know, I like I'm I'm motivated to, to drive VR because of its potential to get um gosh to just get free of this bubble that we live in where a news editor or um you know some some corporate decision making policy are the reasons why we see the news stories, why we read the stories, why we engage with the content that we engage in. And I just want to see a world where everything is completely distributed and people have full autonomy to direct their own news content. If, if I only want to put happy stories of success and puppies and all kinds of wonderful things around me because that's what I feel I, I need and that's, that's what serves me, I want to be able to have and give that power to any user and viewer of, of media content and stories and experiences Um, really put the power back into people's hands to choose what they see and interact with. Um, I I want to free people of a, of a corporate yoke of decision-making on, on, what they see and when, and and you know what kind of advertising policy went into that. So for for me, I'm I'm envisioning lots of unheard stories uh, being discoverable. I'm envisioning full decentralization, autonomy for people to make an income on selling their own content directly to someone like myself who's looking for fun and unique things. Um. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we have a, a huge potential right now in front of us to, to take back control of, of how we spend our time and, and who we engage with. And I think VR and AR are going to be critical components to achieving that.
0: Very cool. I'm gonna. I'll see you in 2038. Then that's that's that message for you. 2038. (laughs) Well,
1: hopefully a little bit sooner than that. But I'll be waiting for the message then.
0: Yes. No. That's for sure. For sure. We'll 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 hang out a lot sooner than that. Um, But um, how can people stay in touch and follow up with all the cool things you're doing these days?
1: Yeah. uh, You know, I think I'm most active on my Instagram. Uh, which is, uh, the SV uh, Social Entrepreneur, well, gosh, hold on. <laughs> I don't, I don't spend much time, uh, looking myself up yet. So on Instagram, I'm SV underscore SOCENT, S-O-C-E-N-T, and it's the same handle on Twitter. Um, Although, usually I'm only tweeting if I'm at conferences. But otherwise, on, on my Instagram, you can keep up with me, all the different conferences, events, and, and people I'm running into, and, and little inspirational stories from time to time.
0: Very cool. I'll be sure to add all those links in the show notes. Um, Erika, I have concluded conclusively concluded that you are a true lady and scholar of virtual reality. Um and I'm really glad and thankful for your time and I look forward to the next time we 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 hang out and chat about virtual reality.
1: <laughs> awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much. It's always
0: so much fun chatting with you about this stuff. And bam, all right. We did- a friend
1: of mine uh runs he was the executive he is the executive director of a nonprofit that he started and typically they do emergency response, so like post-earthquakes, post-hurricane kind of disaster response and helping communities rebuild themselves.
0: By the way, bonus content. This is We're recording now.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> where do you want me to start from?
0: Um, I, you know, I, 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 was, uh, I was... You were really, recording
1: the whole time?
0: <laughs> no, I was really interested. I was, <laughs> no, no, no. I was really interested where, um, with the Greece situation. You know yeah. what you saw in Greece, yeah, yeah, so
1: so I ended up living in Greece for three months last year, and uh, it was with an organization called communitaire and and they do amazing work in disaster response, so out in uh, you know the Philippines, and Haiti and Nepal, so post earthquake, post hurricane, these kinds of disasters, um and they do great work in going out there post disaster and helping communities rebuild themselves. And for the first time, they wanted to take a step toward assisting with the refugee crisis, especially out in Greece, because there was a lot of community rebuilding that needed to happen, but different than like a natural disaster. Now you had an economic disaster that's happening in Greece, um, where the unemployment rates are just through the roof, um, and the number of refugees coming into the country, you know, in order to claim asylum in the EU, the reason why Greece is such a, a uh, thoroughfare for people coming through is because every island between Greece and Turkey is Greek. They're all Greek islands, and any one of those islands counts as EU territory. So you just have to make landfall on any island, and you can claim asylum in the EU. So... There were a number of instances where we either witnessed or had, you know, um, you know second, second degree connections to people who had witnessed it doing boat rescues uh, just off of the coast of mainland Greece. And, you know, the military would take fire hoses from the boats to try and push refugees back toward, <laughs> toward Turkey with, with these massive fire hoses in the dead of night. Um you know, or y- you have uh, the equivalent of coyotes, except out in, in Turkey on the uh, I, if you watch like the new Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime, uh, free content plug right there for you, like they, you know, they show a scene of what it's like when people are preparing to cross the water. And you know unfortunately people are given really shoddy life jackets or they're overstuffed into boats that can't handle the capacity, the number of people that they put in there. So by the time they're anywhere near close to an island um, in Greece, the the boat is halfway sunk as it is, and then people just have to hope that the life jacket that they paid a ridiculous amount of money for is actually going to keep them afloat, um, or that they'll survive the cold in the water. And a lot of these people are, are... you know, we're fleeing war zones. So you have people with amputated limbs. You have women with very young children, um, you know, trying to make these crossings and you have, uh, an ever growing fascist government in Greece that was trying to push people away. Um, and it wasn't just pushing people away in the water. We, we ran into some challenges with trying to run the nonprofit from Greece because, they had closed off all international permits for non Greek, non EU nonprofits to op- operate or deliver any kind of resources and services specifically to refugees. Um, you know, one of the one of the high points of animosity between the Greek government and all of the grassroots nonprofit organizations that went out there to try and help with the refugee crisis was that because Greek, the Greeks themselves were experiencing this huge economic downturn, um, no one was coming to help Greece. And every, everybody was sending resources and money and donations to help refugees, but the Greeks themselves were, are, are in a really dire financial situation. Um, I forget now what the unemployment rate was, but I know it was well over... 20 percent i want to say probably closer to a little over 30 percent unemployment throughout the country um uh, we heard stories that people some some of the only jobs that people were hiring were with the federal government in greece but even then they could only keep uh, someone employed for three months at a time and then the logic was well you know we can't we can't hire everybody but everybody can get hired for a small amount of time to earn some money so you got a job with the federal government you could have a three-month position and then they kicked you out and brought in someone else so that they can earn a little bit of money um but yeah i mean like it's it was interesting time in greece because so many people when they hear that i went to greece they're like oh i love the greek islands i love to party i love to sail where you're at mykonos where you where were you i'm like um oh, i was in thessaloniki like, well Where's Thessaloniki? I'm like, oh, you know, it's up in the north near the Macedonian border. I'm like, what's Macedonia? I'm like, oh, my God. Um, most most people are not really familiar with, with some of the troubles that were happening in Greece. And, um, you know, and I think they prefer it that way because so much of their economy is just built on tourism that I think um, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place where if they make too much of a fuss about the challenges that they're having – then it's kind of a downer. You don't, you don't want to look like a country that's desperate for help when you want people to come and relax, spend money, drink, party, because that's where, you know, they're, they're all a tourist economy. They want people to go in there and, and feel lively and free and not have to worry about all the harsh realities that are going on in Greece.
0: Yeah, follow, follow, me, to, follow me down the rabbit hole for a second here. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I am... Um, uh, something that i've sort of have ingrained in myself as a known fact was that in the world order of the past 70 years it was known that democracies didn't go to war with each other like governments that and so what i mean what is Governments that are chosen by their people with parliaments and congresses and, you know, executive and, you know, uh, different branches of government, like those kinds of governments generally never went to war with each other um, in the past 70 years since World War II. And what I'm noticing now is this trend that's like um, going more towards uh, towards authoritarianism, towards isolationism, towards... Um, one, nationalism one, na- oh, yeah hyper nationalism yeah. yeah and and i mean like in brazil with bolsonaro and with with venezuela with fucking maduro in the philippines with uterte i mean just the list goes on of, of people who are like hoarding on power and this is an attack on all isms Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck what your ism is. <laughs> you know, their their your socialism or your fascism. Like they they're they're when they become authoritative, then it's not fun for anyone anymore. And we're setting up the stage for what I think will be World War Three, in mm-hmm. the midst of a climate crisis that is only going to exacerbate this scarcity mentality in humans.
1: Well, and I think, though, I mean, one of the interesting things about what will World War Three really look like, and will we even know that it has started? Hmm. And I, I say that just because I think there are, because there are all of these, um, you know, handshake deals and these, like, oh, okay, well, we're allies, and you know, and now you're seeing Trump pull away from our allies. And, you know, if he had it his way with, you know, he called himself a national, he called himself a nationalist yeah. um, on, you know, live TV a couple of weeks ago. And, and there really was no backtracking of no that comment. So um, I think, like, when you look at all of the microaggressions, the economic uh Disputes between China, you know, no longer now that they're refusing to purchase soybeans, the Midwest is in crisis and they're hoping that they can sell all the soybeans that they've grown before it just rots. Um, And that's going to financially destroy farmers in the Midwest. And you have, um, you know, people, the the visa, you know, H-1B situation getting shut down. Um, you have the migrant caravan coming, and yeah, okay, so that's, those are real lives affected, but then there's the data wars, there's um, privacy protection, there's all the manipulation with algorithms um, and bots, right, like, bot networks and everything, and, and, and everyone assumes, like, you know, bots and, like, robot wars were going to be, like, Terminator and drones, um, but really, it's bots. Like it's it's Twitter bots. It's bots on Reddit. It's bots on Facebook. The like our robot wars really have started. Um, and the thing is, it's like all all it really requires to start a war like that is complacency. And we've got a lot of that. Um, so how that that's why i was saying like how will we really know when World War Three starts? You know. I, I think there there was a lot of people who were making the similar comparison of, you know, the death of this journalist um, at the Turkish embassy a couple weeks ago, uh, and comparing that to that kind of catalyst moment of the assassination of, um, uh, oh gosh, Bern- Prince Ferdinand
0: mm-hmm.
1: from Austria. You know, at starting World War Two. One. 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 Sorry. <laughs> but they um you know some there's usually some kind of like major catalyst moment that sets like everything's been bubbling up and it, you know it didn't the wars didn't start because of that one assassination it started because that was the final straw and now with the kind of complacent electorate that we have um what we really know as a global global the ecosystem of countries that depend on each other through global trade you almost get the sense of we we kind of already are starting these like microaggressions there's lots of things bubbling up but I doubt we're going to have a really overt catalyst moment like we've had previously
0: yeah my moment will be when I get a draft letter <laughs> You think they're gonna bring the draft back? I mean, I mean, if it were like, if it became like, if it were real World War Three, like, then you, then it would be a draft. Yeah, yeah, it would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> I, I, yeah, <laughs> me and everybody who's able, able, able body would, yeah, would probably be gone. Yeah, out there, wherever the fuck it is. Because, in
1: f- fairness, you might be too old at that point. Mm-hmm. What were the age limits on, on the brown?
0: Draft? They probably extend the age <laughs> limits on brown people.
1: I don't <laughs> so know if they
0: it probably means.
1: fifty for me. <laughs> oh gosh! I mean, if we're look- if we're really looking at trends about what might happen with brown people, I think you might actually end up in prison.
0: Actually, I have been in prison. I actually have been in prison, and I looked around me, and this is the weird thing: I looked around me, and seventy percent of the people around me were brown. Yeah, that sounds looked, about right. They just looked. They all looked like me, and I was like, and I was like, and I started. To, I started thinking to myself like, are we that percentage? Are we seventy percent of the population? Are we brown people seventy percent of the population in fucking rural Nevada? No, Mm-mm. no. You're and like this is disproportionately this brown. Is weird. Yeah, this made yeah that made me feel weird. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, man, I think that is, uh, I mean, that, that's a thing that we already saw with, um, I mean, there's still children that haven't been reunited with their families. Um, the ACLU on their Instagram every day, they, they update how many days it's been that beyond the deadline that uh, the federal government was ordered to reunite every child back with their families. Um, I think we're up to like 93 days now. Um, And so obviously it's happening now. It happened before during World War II um, with the Japanese. I I don't see any reason why we wouldn't be facing that reality again.
0: It's just you wonder, like, man, like, you know, how can a country be so divided? Like, how does it make sense? You know, and then you wonder, like, well, it doesn't have to make sense to us it makes sense to the powerful and the wealthy because as long as as we're divided as long as we're at each other's throats as long as you're scared of me the brown man that's out to get Mm -hmm. you then you're not worried about the capitalist who's literally literally taking money out of your social security and your welfare and your health care and everything else and here you are you're scared of me like what let's get our priorities straight here but this kind of shit, like, man, this kind of shit is dangerous to say.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, and at this point, I've, I've kind of given up on worrying about it because just given the nature of our skin color, you know, we, people don't really, they're, they're going to judge you regardless of what you're saying, um, you know, and so I think at this point, it's just better to just get it out there and say it and start building a rallying crying community around you on your beliefs
0: don't be scared uh, don't be scared of me
1: (laughs) no i remember this is the um i mean this this is the trump playbook with dehumanizing people and we saw this early on you know the the fear-mongering leads to dehumanization and that dehumanization makes it easier for people to take Violent action against other people because they're not seeing you as a real person. Um, and ironically enough, he started that dehumanization process uh, by talking about NS13 um, and talking about them as monsters, as villains, as um, you know, these like out of control beasts and blah 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 blah. blah and that uh, you know, it started in El Salvador. And the truth is, like, it you know, started with young men here in the united states um you know the number of challenges that they were trying to overcome and just the way gangs as a a social concept started it was not unnatural or unforeseen that this gang was coming to life but it very much is an american gang it's just unfortunate that it's an american like latino americans um you know, but but that actually was that's that slippery slope where anyone who's thinking about like, well, yeah, of course, like if you are a gang member murdering people, maybe you do deserve some consequences and that's how you kind of start wiggling into that dehumanizing conversation where you start with something that like sounds logical and then suddenly you're like, Wait, what what did I just agree to? Hold on. Something doesn't feel quite right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's where we started, right? And that's, and that was what was happening. That was what we saw happening in Greece as well. Like people, it's just easier for them to turn their backs when they don't see them as real people. Um, you know, it it was in Greece. There was, uh, I would say a, a protest of some kind at least once a week, um, you know, and it was kind of like the social event of the week. Is you know they had a website you could always check when they were going to protest and who was protesting what topic. On it was like you know in San Francisco we had tons of meetups and in in Thessaloniki at least they they had a a, a a protest each week and that was their version of a meetup and people were just out you know and and for the most part they were pretty. Safe to attend. I only say that because like people chose to bring their children. I you know I saw several strollers out there. Um, there was one time I actually I did get caught up in a, a protest. I was headed for the U.S. embassy and did not realize it was protest day, and uh, was walking the path, and then everybody was walking the path, and they were all chanting. And of course I'm I'm brown slash a little ethnically ambiguous, so. You know, I, I don't fit the stereotype of, you know, blonde, blue-eyed American girl, although I'm 100 American, 100% American, like, born and raised. Uh, I just started joining in because it seemed like good fun. They were banging the drums, and I felt relatively safe, so it was great. And I was like, man, they're all walking in the same direction that I am. This is fine. I'll just walk alongside them, you know, solidarity, great, um, down with the fascists. And then all of a sudden, they stopped in front of this building, and they just start chanting something about Americani imperiali and I was like oh shit <laughs> it's like I'm not gonna American. on my mouth or say anything and I realized like like imperialist Americans like taking over you know everything and, and they and the reason they started shouting these things was because we had stopped we had arrived in front of the US embassy oh. uh, office in Thessaloniki and I was like oh my god this is where I'm headed." Of course, I, I didn't know the back entrance to get in, but whenever they're having these protests, they roll down the metal doors to protect all the storefronts and everything so that no one's breaking the windows.
0: One second. I, so, have, a question. I have a question. So yeah. you're in the middle of a protest mm-hmm. that is protesting outside the American embassy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're an American in the middle of that. yeah, protest.
1: but I yeah, but I didn't I chose um, so I wasn't spe- I, I knew a couple of key phrases in Greek. at that point. Um, So just enough to be cordial because, you know, you're in someone else's country. Why not? Um, But obviously, like, I wasn't having conversation. Like, we were all, we were chanting different things. um, And I was more just walking in solidarity because I needed to walk in that general direction anyway. Ah. Um, You know, and I didn't realize the reason we were all walking in that direction was because they were headed for the U.S. embassy. (laughs) And so was I, uh, but I didn't. You know, obviously, was not there to protest it, but they were. Um, so, but yeah, no, no one realized that I was an American. Um, yeah, it's not the. Kind, I mean, unfortunately, since since I've started traveling and working internationally, it's not the kind of. It's not the first thing I tell people. Let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah, I had a friend and like a while. I think this was during. Um, the Bush era where she went the last years of the Bush era, she went to um she was eating wow. at a restaurant in Shanghai and um the restaurant owner kicked her out and told her, like, get out of here, American pig, get out of here. And um wow. and it was like uh yeah, pig, get out of here, American pig. And it was like uh, and yeah, she was really like she was really distraught by the whole the whole experience that um whenever people would ask her where she was from and I would overhear because we were together we'd be we hanging out together like she would say oh Canada we're from Canada I'm from Canada I'm from Canada
1: Yeah, and I heard Canadians are really upset um, or at least as upset as Canadians get about Americans claiming they're Canadians because now they're going to ruin their good reputation
0: <laughs> well then Canadians need to say that they're Icelandic that
1: oh way. my gosh
0: <laughs> and we it's will too-
1: international politics to a whole new level
0: the cycle uh, the, the circle of love goes on
1: yeah i know but yeah it, it's um it was an interesting experience in in greece we actually we filmed uh uh my friend um pablo and i uh filmed a, a 360 uh, documentary with a couple of brothers in lesbos um there are three afghan brothers and they went uh yeah, you know, they, they were all seeking asylum and, and because they were all uh, adults, legal adults um, they were they had to claim individual asylum which meant they couldn't stay together as a family um, and so even if they did receive asylum in the EU there was a high likelihood that they would all end up uh, being received by different countries so they would inherently be dis- uh, uh Split up, um, and then if any one of them didn't receive asylum, they would be sent back to Afghanistan. So we we had an opportunity to to they were filmmakers themselves, um, they were radio hosts and filmmakers and creatives in their own right. So uh, you know we showed them how to use the the 360 camera. We filmed a little documentary, and we were able to screen it at one of the auxiliary events at the Cannes Film Festival in 2017. Um, so that was uh that was a fun experience to try and, and do all of that while launching a nonprofit building a community center and mobile maker lab in greece um, and that was my that was my two thousand seventeen or at least the first half of it anyway
0: wow that's um that's quite eventful and um i, I something that i thought about um in terms of like uh the migrant crisis and and specifically from latin america like to me a a lot of the answer would come from ending the drug war and figuring out ways to like decriminalize and legalize most drugs because god there's such a america is so insatiable for um for drugs that yeah it's just and and it's like um and again you wonder like why you know how does this make sense you know you spend trillions maybe trillions maybe but definitely billions and billions of dollars on this drug war and today drugs are more accessible and cheaper than ever so what Mm -hmm. has that money gotten us and then i'm like well how does that make sense oh it doesn't have to make sense to me it makes sense again to the prison owner the private prison owner makes sense to the to the pharmaceutical owner, you know, it makes sense mm-hmm. to, it makes sense to the bought out politician. Yeah. It's one yeah. of those things like, Oh,
1: well, I was going to say, yeah, like that, that's what that money got them. All the money they spent on that drug war just comes back with the, with the private prison system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's um, it's a beast. And, um, it's why, um, I'm, I'm, um, I love the idea uh, that virtual and that in that with virtual reality, we're creating hopefully one day, like an alternative way of thinking alternative reality. Like look, look at a world where like people can actually get along better. (laughs) And I don't know if it's too idealistic. I just hope, I just think that like, um, like I said with VR chat, like the more friends you have from all over the world, the less of an asshole you are, I think, um, especially like I think. you um, Think about all the people who are like who live in a small town or in a, in a place where like they don't get that much human interaction. With VR, like they'll have hundreds and hundreds of friends now, and and that will have like a a mind expanding effect. That's my that's the thing that's the thing that gives me hope for the future. That like at the very least at the very least, VR is going to help us expand our minds.
1: Oh, definitely. I I don't see how how we couldn't. Um, And I think one of the great things about it, and we were joking about this earlier, how grass is always greener on the other side, and if you don't want to be lumped in with, you know, being a quote, American abroad, and, and all the stigma that comes with it, you know, some people are claiming, oh, I'm a Canadian, and if you're Canadian, then you claim I'm Icelandic. But, Um, you know, the wonderful thing about VR is having these digital communities that are not tied into government boundaries, government political boundaries um, where you can be, you know, you can show up as your authentic self, even if your authentic self is a, is, you know, a green fairy um, or floating robot or whatever it is you choose to show up in that virtual world. Um, And I think that's something so wonderful because, you know, in the quote, Real world, um, you know, you you have a default self of attributes that you're born with, and maybe it doesn't truly represent your authentic self because it comes with so many tags and stigmas attached to it from you know generations of, of politicking and, and yeah, the just biases, really.
0: Yeah yeah it's um so much to untangle there i feel like uh, we can go on for hours honestly but i uh (laughs) but we but now we've we've gone way overboard and we've
1: truly exhausted i think uh (laughs) every course of conversation
0: avenue of possible conversation at this point has been exhausted um there the the infinite amounts of angles that we could have uh entered has already been entered so um so so thank you guys we've uh we've solved we've solved virtual reality good job we did it um, well
1: done team high
0: five yes and um <laughs> hey so what what are your thoughts on the election like just leaving on on that maybe like what did you do you feel like do you get mixed feelings because the, the dems won the house or do you feel like uh do you feel like yay more marijuana do you feel i don't <laughs> know <how> did, <laughs> what are you what are your thoughts you walking away from this
1: Oh, you know, it's, gosh, it's been like a full 24 hours since the polls closed. And
0: then Trump fired Sessions, like,
1: uh, you just know.
0: now. So, how do you keep up? It's crazy.
1: <laughs> well, but the thing is, it's like, okay, you know, everyone knew a shift and changes were going to come as soon as the election results were pretty much or announced, because, they they have their own plan that they're trying to execute and and they're just i think they were just waiting it out but i mean what concerned me the most was just the way i I don't know if you followed it all today like the jeff sessions thing was not concerning to i mean it's concerning on its own right but it was unsurprising as a as a political like strategy we all saw that coming i saw it coming anyway what was really terrifying for me today was the, the interaction that Trump had with Jim Acosta doing a press conference post midterm election results and the White House press corps was there and, and Trump stood at his podium and, and called him and CNN the most terrible worst people and that CNN truly was the enemy of the people. Um, and now Jim Acosta has had his press credentials. Uh, uh, removed and he's no longer uh, allowed back into the White House to, to cover his beat which is the White House for on behalf of CNN and and the reason he got kicked out was because he corrected Trump in saying that the migrant caravan is not an invasion Trump said it is to me and he said well Mr. President it's not um, and they went back on forth in that bit for a bit and that is the most terrifying moment for me about this post midterm election results now is um you know it's almost like uh art of war kind of situation here where i think trump's seeing the writing on the wall he's starting to lose control of himself and and his government around him and so it's almost like he's back in, we're backing him into a corner hopefully but that's only going to make him lash out even more
0: so that's what i was thinking i feel like he's gonna be more aggressive (laughs) than before (laughs) and and just blame 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 now that he's gonna have the democrats right there like blame them all day every day i don't know i mean it's gonna work to his followers that's that's not gonna change that's the sad thing it's ah god again like (laughs) why It's like poor people hating poor people while the rich get richer on on our, our on our own hate on our own ignorance of that fact. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it maybe over and over and over again, and it's happening right now, and they don't realize it. Maybe we just need to
1: study that Game of Thrones a little bit closer, uh, prep ourselves for twenty twenty elections.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because
1: that's that's really that cool. we're all just caught up in this war between you know different powerhouses of money
0: um I'm telling you Mark Zuckerberg is going to come in there and use his whole whole intelligence apparatus to get inside the mind of the American voter
1: Did you see Mark Zuckerberg join the official uh Facebook virtual reality group today Did he He did yeah um it was quite a to do if if you were if you are in that Facebook group um all the admins everyone was just outright giddy about the fact that he 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 requested and was approved to join the group and then they made him a a moderator admin into the group as well which I thought was a little overkill I think that man has enough power over our presence on that site anyway
0: Yeah <laughs> 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 Big brothers watching guys come on wow that's cool uh, Yeah
1: so hopefully he's trying to take a more active role in, uh, in the Facebook, uh, Oculus communities.
0: What advice would you give to Mark? Like, like if you tell him Mark, if you had like a, like uh, ear like conversation with him right in front of you, like, like, how do you, like, what do you tell him? Like, cause I feel like he's not coming as, he's not coming across as a human being. Mm. And uh, maybe that's the way the media is portraying. Maybe, maybe now I'm like, maybe I'm biased because of what I'm seeing. I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, I have a couple of thoughts on that. And I think it's just that, you know, when you, it's almost like the equivalent of, um, like, watching child actors grow up, because they grow up in the public eye. Um, They're a little different. Their, their, their sense of reality is a bit distorted. And essentially, Zuckerberg has had to grow up in the public eye. Um, And he's just had the benefit of business mentors, coaches, PR people and everyone else helping him refine his message that I think for him, it's just a matter of holding on to the company line holding on to the mission statement. He has a couple of key phrases that he goes to and and he's trained to keep his face as neutral as possible. Um, which quite honestly, like as an entrepreneur, I'm a very expressive person in my, in my face and my body language, everything. Uh, and that is not good for business. It's like, it's like being a poker player with a really obvious tell. Um, Sometimes you need to train that out of you uh, in order to to kind of hold your cards a little bit closer. But as far as like advice that I would give Zuckerberg, you know, I I was at OC5 this year and he started out great uh, with admitting that, you know, they, they had set a goal to have VR reach 1 billion people uh, in VR and they – they got about one million people, <laughs> so they didn't quite make their mark, and they admitted to that. Uh, and then he started going on about how the future of VR is not just about getting any, you know, one million or one billion people into VR. That we really need to develop an ecosystem to help support uh, all of the content creators, the different kinds of content, the different pieces of equipment, everything. Uh, really build out like a true ecosystem needs a little bit of everybody to come in and engage, not just be our purists, which I thought was fabulous. Um, that he started out that way in his keynote, but then for the rest of the time, it's all gaming, it's all gaming, everything he's focused on is gaming. So, the advice that I would give to Mark is um, maybe listen to your own rhetoric, uh, do some research on what a true like ecosystem is built out of because. Uh, as an ecosystem builder myself like you know there's so many different stakeholders that you have to make it frictionless to enter into your ecosystem and so far his his actions and his words do not match up and i just don't know how we can actually build a true ecosystem without that support from from him and from facebook truly not just talking about it but doing it
0: yeah i wonder if they were looking at their analytics before, you know, making this decision, they were like, all right, well, it looks like the pool of people who are in our audience is huge on the gaming thing. So we're going to have to squeeze that cow, milk that cow for as long <laughs> as we can. While the people who are trying to create meaningful, cathartic VR experiences, they're there, they're hungry, but there's like 12 of them. So...
1: Well, but I think you have to go back, though, that... Um, what was it? The okay. So we 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 mentioned earlier that Oculus was purchased in 2014, and what what was happening in 2014 on Facebook? Do you remember? Candy Crush. Oh, really? Farmville. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mobile gaming. Mobile gaming was it. And here comes you know after like the Nintendo. uh, What was it? We. No, no, no! The the original uh, VR headset from Nintendo uh, 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 in 1995.
0: Game, um, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, Good my. piece of trivia, y'all. Yes, this is, and I can't believe I'm struggling with this. Hold on, hold on! It's at the tip of my tongue. It's the not the Game Boy. The Virtual, Virtual Boy. Boy. Bam. There we go. I would have been yeah. so ashamed of myself. I would have quit this podcast <laughs> if I had not known that. I would have quit right now. But right. thankfully, we, yeah, Virtual Boy. So, yeah.
1: We saved ourselves. So, right. So, okay. So, so you had like, so Virtual Boy was the very, very first real, I mean, it was 32 bit, right? But first real, like VR with the use case of gaming. And I think for the longest time, like VR has just had that stamp of, of, um, uh, oh, God, what do you call it? Um, it's just been categorized as a gaming device for the longest time. And so when when the Oculus DK1 came out and they were becoming a more mature piece of hardware, they sold for $2 billion because mobile gaming was so hot on Facebook that, of course, it was like the natural evolution to invest in the future of gaming, which is VR. And I think that they've just walked that path because that was the initial um use case and justification of spending two billion dollars on uh you know, on on a new product line inside of Facebook was and it was it was a gaming vertical. So I think that they've just been stuck in gaming for the longest time because that's what it was imbibed with when it came into Facebook.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um yeah it's interesting i'm yeah it's because there's, there's like uh for for me i'm at i'm at a point where i um i'm the kind of consumer that is demanding more better more like a better expressiveness inside of vr so that i can express myself better and what i mean is like full body tracking like like if there if there was like a full body standard tracking like Oh my god, I will start I would start salsa classes in VR chat. And like and like and we can mm-hmm. like all do salsa in VR chat eh, because we have you know full body tracking. Like like it was and and I just want to like and and what I want is I just I want companies to push that further like okay, you got full body tracking. All right, give me more. Like how do I bring my myself closer and closer, deeper and deeper inside the metaverse, you know? That's um that's what I want. <laughs> Oculus yeah. Quest is nice, but I want, I want to be deeper in the metaverse. I want to be more immersed. High resolution panels, uh, eye tracking, like all that shit. But it's it's gonna come, I think. So it's gonna, but it's gonna take time. It seems like so. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm a very particular, particular kind of consumer. So so we'll see how that plays out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think all of us early adopters uh, tend to be really, <laughs> really strange, particular consumers of VR.
0: Indeed. All right, Scott, this has been awesome. Um, I'm going to end the bonus section of the NRVR podcast. Um, yeah, do you have any, th- any final thoughts? I guess I should leave it at that. Like, Do you have anything else to say before I close off the bonus section and we say goodbye for good for a while?
1: Uh, you know, this holiday season, as we're approaching, like bring a friend to VR, uh, yeah. take them to an event, go get, you know, I think everyone should be evangelizing and, and not just to each other, to, uh, to, to people who don't, who don't know anything about it. You know, I think, um, I think that's the best thing we can do. Share, share the love of
0: VR this holiday season. Yeah, I'm, I am could get behind that. All right, Eric, right, have a great <laughs> night.
1: You too. Bye-bye.